Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Housing Matters, the Vancouver Sun Real Estate Show. I'm Stuart McNish, I'm your host, and this is episode one. Today we're going to take a look back at what happened in 2018. We're going to try and look into our crystal ball to see what might be happening in 2019. Our guests today are Michael Ferreira of Urban Analytics and Vancouver Sun reporter Joanna Leung. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to Housing Matters, the Vancouver Sun Real Estate Show. Michael Ferreira, you are our first guest. Thank you for joining me, and it's appropriate that you join us because we need to take a look at what has been happening in the market over the last year for sure, and that will give us a sense of maybe, because nobody knows for sure, what 2019 might look like. From your perspective, what are the highlights of 2018? Um, <laughs> where do I start? Um, I know it's complex. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And it's complex also because I don't know about you and your ability to explain this, but the moment you start talking about real estate, the first thing that people think about is, well, what's the value of my home? Anything else, my eyes glaze over and I'm just not sure. Just is the value going up? Is it staying the same or is it going down? Right. Okay, so we'll we'll cover that because that's a complicated question and it's it's hard to answer right. with with just a yes or no or up mm-hmm. or down for the entire market. So uh, just so that that you're clear and the audience is clear. So our focus as a company of urban analytics is on the new multifamily home market. That's what we primarily pay attention to in Metro Vancouver, a couple of other markets outside the province as well. Um, But in saying that, we also obviously still pay attention to other sectors of the market, the resale uh, sector, what's happening in, in, in that as well, because it impacts, you know, all different sectors of the market impact each other. Um, So uh, having said that, um, you know, I think people generally, you know, I think a lot of the, the chatter and the talk within the real estate market in addition to what is my home worth, is um, you know what's happening in the development industry. Um, you know we often hear about the greedy developers. We often hear about projects getting canceled or not approved or, or long dragged out public hearings at at uh, council chambers over a, a new development that's that's being proposed in a certain neighborhood. So it is a big part of the conversation, and mm-hmm. and I can certainly speak to that. Um, Back to your initial question about uh, highlights of, of 2018, um, I, I'll, I'll preface it by saying that, that I do a, uh, an annual address to the uh, Urban Development Institute in, in the fall of every year. I've done it, I think, eight years in a row now. And as I prepared for it in the summer of, of last year, about two months ahead of when I presented it, I probably had the hardest time trying to 
come to a focus of, of what the presentation would entail. And, uh, and the primary reason for that was there was so much that happened in the housing market in 2018. You know, we started off the year with the stress test um, coming being into play, the being federal, introduced. Uh, stress test, yeah, 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 or it was implemented in January. Yeah. So had it had been introduced in the fall. That was of, the B20, right? Correct, yeah. yeah. So, um, and it's interesting that they call it the B20 because that's about how the percentage of, of your buying power that gets reduced as a result of, of the stress test. And uh, that had a big impact on the market just on its own. It did, yeah. yes. Um, and initially, for sure, on the end user sector of, of the market, because those are the people who are going to purchase, have to get qualified uh, have to move into the home that they're that they're purchasing. So, if you're an entry level buyer that was looking at a townhome, for instance, that was priced in the uh, seven hundred eighty thousand dollar range, well, now you're only able to look at something at six hundred fifty thousand dollars. So, does that take you out of the townhome market? Does that take you out of the new townhome market into a resale market? Uh, does it put you down into a condo? So it, it had a, a big impact on, on that sector of the market. It then subsequently also had an impact on the resale market because not only for the people who were buying a resale, but also for the people who were selling a home. Uh, so if you had to sell a home to move up into a different home, uh, all of a sudden, uh, people who may have been able to afford your home a month previous all of a sudden weren't able to. They couldn't qualify for it. And now so, you're not selling your home. Exactly. Yeah. So, Or at least for not as much as you thought it, you were going to sell it for. So it had a real ripple effect across the market. And that was probably sort of the, the first sort of real shot across the bow of the, of the housing market in, in 2018. We then had the, uh, the NDP's uh, budget that came down in February of this year, which introduced a number of, uh, of policies and taxes that were seemingly designed to quell demand in the housing market through taxes, through um, mostly through taxes. Mm -hmm. uh, but that some seems other, to be their strategy. It, not, not supply, but let's, uh, we're going to tax exactly. uh, the market into shape. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and they, they weren't alone in that. We also saw, you know, that was part of what the, the stress test was about. That's also part of what the empty homes tax was about with the city of Vancouver. Um, so, so they weren't alone there, but, um, you know, that just piled on. So and, and didn't they also increase the for, uh, the percentage of the foreign uh, buyer correct. tax as well yes. from 15 to 20 percent? That's correct. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, so so there was that there was um, uh, then some external factors that were at play. Uh, obviously, you know, there's no denying that the, the Chinese buyer has been a big influence on the uh, the real estate market in, in Metro Vancouver. And, and no, it's not all laundered money. Some of it is actually legitimate, a good portion of it. Well, that I was when they were legitimate. able to get money out of China. I don't Correct. know if they can do that now. That's right. Yeah. So so that was another uh, thing that we started to see happen in 2016 and 2017, but really started to have an impact in uh, in 2018. People you know, not being able to take as much money out of China as they once had prior. Mm -hmm. um, you also then had much more stringent um, uh, watch uh, over overseeing of uh, of financial situations of people, whether they were foreign buyers or whether they were locals. So lots of talk about you know tracking assignment sales um, and and just you know overall much more monitoring, uh, much more closely monitored um, uh, monitoring of acquisitions and where that money is coming from. So FinTrack, which is the, the federal watchdog that sort of tracks where money is coming from and is supposed to track and 
you know, mitigate any money laundering, um, became much more active in the market. Um, and, and which I think is a good thing. They should have gotten to it a lot sooner than, than they actually did. So um, all of these factors together combined to finally uh, really make people think twice about what was going on in the market. So we started to see, especially in the new home market, we had seen it in the resale market for the previous 18 months or so. But in the, the new home market, we really started to see these have an impact kind of midway through the year, May, June of 2018, where we started to see uh, in certain neighborhoods, developers offering incentives, developers offering uh, extra bonuses to realtors who would bring buyers to their projects. Uh, and and that was something that we hadn't seen for the better part of three years in the market. So well, that because was it sort had of, been a seller's market. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. So and, and that was sort of the first sign that we saw, OK, you know, the industry is starting to recognize that that things are not as they as they were just a few months before and are now starting to respond. So to quote Bob Dylan, the times they were a changing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So um, and, and we saw that continue through the, the second half of the year. We we saw in certain neighborhoods where, um, you know, developers were recognizing what was happening. Uh, they would bring a project onto the market instead of pricing it at, you know, uh, five to ten percent above what the previous project had launched at, they priced it uh, a little bit below what the last project had had sold at. So, um, and and a lot of that is is primarily in the high rise sector where, uh, and I don't know how many people realize this, but there's a tremendous amount of pressure for when a high rise project gets launched to achieve uh, a high level of pre-sales right off the bat. They have, uh, there's a legislation that requires them to, um, to achieve their, their pre-sale requirement from the banks uh, within nine months of, of starting to sell. And, and that's to guard against defaulting. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So we had situations in the past, and, and we see it in, in Alberta where we're also active, where a project will launch, it'll have a sales campaign for three or four years, and then decide, oh, we don't have enough demand and sales, so we're going to cancel the project. Meanwhile, people's deposits have been tied up for three or four years. So mm -hmm. it's actually a good policy to have, but what ends up happening is is uh, developers are under this pressure to to pre-sell as much of the project as possible within nine months of of launching. Which so. up until the the switch from uh, a, a seller's to a buyer's market really wasn't an issue in British Columbia. These places were selling out pretty quickly. That's true. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, we started to see, uh, particularly in that high-rise sector, we started to see a, a bit more... Um, you know, realism coming back into the market and uh, both from the developer side as well as from the buyer side. Um, you know, we've seen demand soften a little bit. It's still, there's still strong underlying demand. We're still going to see, uh, I think we're, we're just in the process of, uh, of calculating our numbers for the fourth quarter of, of last year. But I think, you know, we're, we're not going to be where we were in 2017. We're not going to match uh, 2016, which was the highest uh, number of sales we've ever seen in the new market while while we've been tracking it, which was about 20,000. Uh, last year, we were a little over 17,000. I think this year, we'll probably end up in the 15 to 16,000. So what rate. do you think this is going to do as far as future supply is concerned? Are developers going to back off at the moment? Uh, and if they do, well, then how is that going to create more affordable housing? So, um, I mean, Developers are obviously in the business to to make a profit. They're 
they wouldn't be in business if, if there wasn't a reward at the end of it. There's a massive amount of risk involved, which I don't think a lot of people appreciate, um, which, you know, at the end of the day, if they do make some profit, good for them. They've taken on a, a tremendous amount of risk. They employ a tremendous amount of people in, in the province, um, both in their head offices and, and in, uh, in um, other ancillary firms that are complementary to, to what they do. So, um, so yes, if the market uh, slows and they don't see that the demand is there, they'll likely back off a little bit. However, uh, realistically, uh, a lot of the development firms in town are big machines and they're loath to, to lay staff off. And if, eventually what we saw happen in 2008, 2009, as, uh, as the development industry stopped pretty much for a good better portion of a year, we saw quite a few layoffs and, and, uh, and uh, employment staffs uh, back off. I don't see that happening this time around. I, th I think we have um, sort of a much more gradual um, softening in the market. And, and again, as I say, we've still got good uh, underlying demand. The economic fundamentals are still very strong in the province. We're still seeing good population growth. Our unemployment rate is at, at historical lows. So we still see a lot of good happening in the market that should continue to drive demand. What we have seen come out of the market is is that frenzy that we were seeing in, in 2016 and 2017, where there was a fear of missing out among buyers. So not only among investors, but even um, people like of, of your and, and my vintage, where we've got kids who are growing up and, and you're worried they're not going to be able to afford a home. So I'm going to buy them a condo and make sure that they, they have a home that, that they're not priced out of by the time they're ready to, uh, to move into something. Well, and we need to make sure that those young people stay uh, and that there are other young people coming into the market because without that constant circulation uh, through a community, it becomes stagnant yeah. uh, and it has a tremendous impact on economic uh, development, small business, uh, employers, everybody's affected by a housing market that, that starts to run away. Right. And so you anticipate that we're going to see a much more stable market uh, with prices remaining where they are, or do you think they're going to ease off a bit? I, I think we'll see some easing off, especially in some areas where we see uh, a big increase in the amount of, of um, competition in the market. One of the, the drums that I've been trying to bang loudly over the last few years, and I know we have this, you know, we need more supply, no, we need to quell demand argument all the time. Um, it, you know, we see the data uh, in front of us. We see the hard data in front of us all the time. Yes, there was an increase in sales. No, we didn't match that increase in sales with additional supply to prevent that frenzy and that that urgency from from happening in the market. Um, and where uh, so what we were arguing for was it's not just about adding you know ten thousand new units to the market and and let it go at it uh, because what what was happening is. Um, you know, some developers were buying these master plan communities, which allows them basically to still control the inventory that gets led onto the market. We were arguing for municipalities to approve more projects more quickly to create that competition within different neighborhoods, different markets, so that uh, when there is competition, buyers have more of a choice. They then don't feel that urgency to, to go out and make a decision and, and buy whatever's available in the market today. So we're seeing in a couple of markets in, in 2019, um, uh, multiple project launches coming up within the next few months that will tell us very quickly where prices are gonna fall out at uh, in the market. 
Uh, I did want to mention a couple of factors that you have to consider when you're when you're asking whether prices are going to come down. Uh, it's not just about is there enough demand for the product and you know buyers versus sellers market and such. So in the in the new home industry, you have uh, land cost and you have construction costs. Um, land costs have historically been very sticky when they start to come down unless a landowner has to sell his property if if he's not going to get the price that he wants he's he'll just, just holds on he'll yeah. just sit on it yeah. right and so he doesn't have to sell now having said that you know i think there will be some softening in the land market we're already starting to see a little bit of that uh in the last three or four months of of last year uh on the cost side uh that's going to be even stickier coming down because we're basically the industry is at full capacity as it is on the labor side so we don't see a lot of softening there in in the next six to 12 months maybe beyond if the market continues to slow or show signs of slowing um on the material side again no sign of uh no sign of of uh, of a softening or a, a drop in prices there either so um so those two combined materials, labor, land, uh, I think those are going to probably be the, the, the biggest factors in preventing prices from coming down too much. Um, and obviously, if a developer doesn't see a return, given what, uh, what product can sell for and, and what costs are, then he's not going to go to market with his product. Yeah. And we also, the other component that we have are people are still moving to Vancouver. Uh, the economy remains pretty robust and more and more people want to move here. You know, are we able to meet that need with new supply? Uh, because as we already know, it's, uh, you know, new, uh, any sort of housing is in, uh, you know, in short supply. Correct. Yeah. Rental in particular. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and, and that's another sector of the market that that I think the um, municipal governments could have an immediate impact on. Um, we have, uh, I think I just looked at it this morning, something uh, in the range of just under 20,000 uh, rental units that are currently going through the the planning process in in uh, in Metro Vancouver from Abbotsford uh, west to Squamish. Um, and if you, uh, the rental market is, is a sector of the housing market that doesn't get impacted by speculation, doesn't get impacted by investors as the new condo market might. Mm -hmm. um, so if you uh, inject a, a, a tremendous, a substantial increase in new rental supply to the market within a short period of time, it's going to have an immediate impact on rents because you don't have that speculation, that investor who's going to continue to prop up the pricing. Yeah. Um, so uh, so we've, again, been beating this drum of if you want to increase supply and have an immediate impact on affordability, let's do it first in the rental market because the, the more rental supply you add to the market, the more downward pressure there is on, on rents. And they had quite a bit of success with that in Seattle, I understand. Yes. And they saw rents actually start to drop as landlords started to become uh, competitive in trying to attract uh, tenants. Correct. And, and we're, we see it, uh, we track the, uh, the Calgary rental market as well as, uh, as in Edmonton. And in Calgary, we've seen that in the past few years as well, where some substantial new rental projects get uh, completed. Uh, we see some pretty impressive incentives of two or three months free rent, free parking for, uh, for the year, uh, a number of other incentives to try and attract tenants. And that effectively uh, lowers the rent for uh, for renters that may not show in the monthly rent amount, but certainly with all of the other add-ons that uh, that they offer, you do see this immediate uh, drop in uh, in rents and what the cost is to a to a renter in the market.
Well, it's going to be an interesting year. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, and, I can't uh, wait. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully we'll have you back later in the year to, to take a look at uh, what we thought might, might happen versus what actually did happen. Because, you know, the the, the whole, uh, that adage about uh, uh, predictions, you be careful about making predictions, especially if it has anything to do with the future. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> because you just never know. Uh, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. We'll be right back with Joanna Leung from the Vancouver Sun. Joanna Leung, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a very interesting year, and, and I think that we have to even project back a little bit further to get a sense of really what happened uh, and, and, and then be able to try and take a look at what might be moving forward in the real estate market into, you know, throughout 2019 into 2020. In your latest article, you know, kind of what happened, the recap of 2018, you also point to the fact that there were significant things that were happening in 2015 and 2016. Let's start there. What were some of the things that, that maybe we weren't even aware of as they were unfolding? Yeah, it's always hard to um, see things when you're in the middle of it. But starting in late 2014, um, 2015, we started to see some very large transactions in markets, uh, the west side of Vancouver, um, West Vancouver, the luxury markets. Um, and, uh, you know, there is this uh, spark off of uh, large transactions and then, uh, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars, uh, more attention on those. And then, you know, there's uh, a frenzy of buying in those markets and, and prices start to take off. Um, and this is in tandem with it going on in other markets, you know, in New York, in London. The, it's, there's a lot of attention on uh, high-end luxury properties. And, and so that money really was coming out of China, wasn't it? In looking back, we now have some um, quite authoritative voices um, you know, CEOs of major banks. Um, we have, um, you know, institutions that, that track funds. Um, there's, a, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars moving out of China, um, you know, both at, um, at high levels and at, um, at uh, you know, personal family values, people looking ahead and, um, trying to think of their future and what to, you know, a safe place, seeking safe havens. And so this money spreads to all these, you know, desirable markets. People are um, trying to protect their assets. Well, didn't Bloomberg Press say that it was the greatest outflow of capital in history? Uh, yeah, recently. The, the amount of money that was flowing out of China and, you know, through to, you know, 2015 was extraordinary. Yeah, but Bloomberg then, cites yeah. an institute that tracks this. And and so that's one of the examples that I use in my article, that there is, um, and it's a large spike. You see 20... Um, you know, 2012, 2013, and then there's a large spike in 2016. And so, you know, obviously not all that money comes to Vancouver, but Vancouver is a desirable place for so some of that. It's my understanding that that outflow was so great that it actually started to compromise the cash reserves that the Chinese government had on hand. And they were told uh, by the Inter International Monetary Fund, you've got to tighten up uh, your cash reserves um, and so thus the Chinese government acted uh, to do to build back up their reserves rather than devalue their currency. And in doing so, they have really put 
the Chinese government almost more than any other, uh, you know, single group has put a damper on this this explosion in world uh, real estate prices. And of course, it, it does have some impact on British Columbia, but that wasn't the only thing that was happening. Uh, there was a tremendous concern here about are we making Vancouver now unlivable? Uh, right. And of course, the provincial government jumps in. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that was happening at that time, and I, I remember I covered some of those stories, it was the um, the rise of the renminbi as a currency that would one day take its place alongside uh, the pound or, or, um, or the U.S. dollar as a major world currency. And so that's where you get this um, desire to protect its, its, um, its stability mm -hmm. by the Chinese government. And, um, you know, it's... it's um, you know, it's a very nuanced situation because some of those outflows is being executed by, um, you know, people in positions of leadership as well. Um, and, um, but yes, at an official level, there is, you know, there are various attempts um, to uh, tighten the ability to move money um, and, and, and to tighten the ways in which, I mean, it's a bit of a cat and mouse game, mm -hmm. right? Because people had been circumventing already existing rules by, you know, say getting, um, you know, you know, employees at a company to each move the maximum amount in order to move a large amount of cash or, you know, doctoring import-export invoices. So it just gets a bit harder. So mm -hmm. then there, you know, each year there'd be, um, you know, a new effort to, to stem. And that, of course, starts to have an impact on, on the market here. Uh, I like what you had uh, written about in your piece, like what happened in 2018, that Andy Yan says, you know, uh, this is not a, uh, a like a linear line, it's geometric. Mm -hmm. uh, what did he mean by that? <laughs> I think what he meant is that it, um, it's not like one thing led to another. A lot of things came together, a bit of a perfect storm. You had this um, incredible push of money seeking a safe haven uh, or safer haven or a, a backup plan. You had the um, you had Canadian banks eager to court high net worth clients um, and offering um, credit, uh, offering mortgages. Um, and uh, you had low interest rates and you had a real desire, you know, so then when sales are taking off and, and, and you know, one sale leads to another sale. And then, you know, once you have another sale, you get into this aspirational pricing. Well, that person got that price. So then, you know, you had that time when, you know, your, your West Side bungalow was hitting, I, I can't remember the, the exact um, slogans of the time, but, you know, I, I need a million dollars. And so each new sale would spark a new asking price. Um, so, it, and, you know, so then you, so then the momentum started to go from the luxury markets into, you know, into other markets, you know, from the west side to the east side through the suburbs, um, extending out into the Fraser Valley. And throughout the province and as well, because people were moving out of yeah, the out of the city and exactly. then going into, into other. Yeah, uh, they would cash out and take their money to the island or other parts. Kelowna, Kelowna. Look at what was happening in Kelowna? Yeah. It was extraordinary. Yeah. But 2018 comes along. We've already now seen the foreign uh, buyers tax implemented under the Christie Clark government, but now there are changes happening at the federal level and provincially. What what were the significant things that happened in 2018 that really started to have an impact on uh, bringing prices in Vancouver 
hopefully in line with affordability. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk about whether or not they succeed. Yeah. <laughs> so in January, there's the mortgage stress testing that is brought in. And that is, um, that's a federal level, um, uh, you know, initiative, because there was worry that people were overextending themselves. And the idea was that, you know, we need to have, you know, a line in the sand so that if interest rates go up, you know, people aren't, um, you know, are aren't in trouble. Well, we didn't want to have 2008 happening here in Canada, did we? Where yeah. people were extended beyond their ability to pay for their mortgage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know if there's a direct comparison, but that is the the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really hits. So, so when that's brought in, it hits first-time buyers. Um, it also hits the ability for even existing homeowners to move up the ladder as easily. Right. Um, that, that came, I think, as a bit of a shock. Yeah, it? for some people. Yeah, for some people it, it did. And, and so, um, you know, what happens in the, uh, the pre-sale condo market is that, um, you know, the buyers who are first-time buyers or, um, you know, what they call end-user, you know, people who are actually going to live in the apartment, those sales get, you know, a real shock at the beginning of the year, February and March. Um, yeah, because people who thought that they were maybe eligible for a mortgage yeah. suddenly find that they can't afford they can't, to buy, right? or they're not they're not even eligible for a mortgage any longer. Yeah, the stress testing essentially um, meant that you had about you know twenty percent less buying power, and so um, you know it, it actually um, it really kind of showed how stretched people were. So that starts. And then in February, um, the provincial budget starts to introduce, you know, gives a taste of what's coming mm-hmm. in the pipeline. There's the 0.5% uh, speculation tax. Um, that's on vacant at, homes, right? On, yeah, yeah, in certain areas. Yeah. And, and also the, um, the additional school tax on um, higher-end homes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and um, you know, I've heard people say that it wasn't one thing or the other, but all together, these start to, um, you know, play with the psyche of buyers. Well, and the provincial government also uh, upped the uh, the tax rate or the percentage rate on the foreign, foreign buyer's, buyer's tax, tax. tax as yeah. well. So all of these things start yeah, to combine. Yeah, it moves to 20%. Okay, so what's the prognosis on what happened to the market? I mean, we all know that uh, housing sales are down, prices are down. Are we officially in a, in a declining real estate value market? I think we are officially, by many, um, by many voices, in that it's. I guess the discussion is to what degree, mm-hmm. and there's still um, depending on who you talk to, um, you know. So the magic question. Yeah. yeah, is this a good thing? Um, well, you know, you you mentioned the idea of you know to have these measures, broad affordability, and there is you know I know that the development industry and the construction industry, um, you know, they've taken aim at some of these measures and said that, in fact, um, you know, they haven't actually made it more affordable for the lower end, for the kind of entry-level buyer, um, you know, because then, you know, the the higher end is sort of frozen. Um, and so a bunch of people that might have been eligible on the higher end have now moved into mid-market, well, yes. which has put pressure on the lower end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so I think it's a matter of perspective. I mean, I think these measures have, um, you have to think about, you know, if they hadn't been in place, we'd still, would we still be in the days of, you know, runaway prices, you know, double digit increases? I mean, really feverish. I mean, I, don't, I think sometimes we forget to, um, y- you know, 
look at Vancouver from the outside and see that it was it's really capturing the attention of um, a lot of places because unlike New York and unlike London and Hong Kong and, and these other places that we're experiencing, um, you know, flows of cash, there's not the income base here. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's even, you know, it has that extra, um, you know, outlier you know, and it remains to be seen if those lower end of properties are more expensive or, or if they'll also follow the market. Um, but it's undeniable that, you know, there's a there's been a tempering. So you yeah. talk about a death cross. What is that? And are we oh, in I one? I kind of put that in <laughs> for fun. Um, but I don't think that it is. I think people yeah. are very interested in this. Yeah. And so then how does that play on people's psyche when they decide that they're going to uh, buy uh, yeah. When they want to sell, yeah. do we hang on to this property? Do we look at it as a place to live? Uh, like, I mean, these are all issues that yeah. go into into the housing mix. Yeah. So, how do you describe what that, a death I cross that, is? I put, yeah, <laughs> I put that in because I thought it really illustrated how um, you know we talk about homes are for living, but definitely this whole experience um, since I guess two thousand and. 14 till now it's you know we've it's there's been a real change in how housing in Vancouver is seen it's it's much more commoditized it's it's become um an asset class mm-hmm. right we've seen people refer to it in that way and so the the death cross um is really um there is a Vancouver realtor analyst who has taken to looking at the real estate market the way um, technical analysts look at the stock market. So yeah, fundamental analysts who will say like, you know, the market's going to move this way and that way because of these issues, because of these things. And then there are technical analysts who look at it and and just um, look at momentum. Like so long-term price momentum and short-term price momentum and the way the two things pull at each other and how they indicate um, you know, how prices, um, you know, the ability for prices to continue. Um, and so he mapped out and, and over time there are only, you know, I think, I think it's eight times in, in, since these numbers have been tracked in Vancouver where the, where two lines cross. And he just uses that to kind of, uh, indicate where things will go. And I just thought it was interesting that, um, what he's calling for is pretty close to what some of the more fundamental analysis is showing that, you know, we are in a downturn for a few years mm-hmm. um, that prices, you know, I think, I think that um, you, know, you have economists at banks saying, yeah, probably all these drags and, and 2021, it's kind of a three year and, and the uh, technical anal- analysis shows something similar, right? That so, you don't see prices yeah. come back until then. Three years, or is it going to be 10 years? The problem with yeah. predicting the uh, housing market is that it's so complex, so many factors that are... Oh, so many factors. You know, there's now, you know, more discussion about uh, re-returnees uh, from Hong Kong um, that could potentially change things. This market has always been very sensitive to um, geopolitics of, of that region, um, Taiwan as well. So it, uh, it remains to be seen, but it's, definitely... It will be fascinating to watch what happens in 2019, and we'll be watching your reports to find out more as you sort of document uh, the the ups, downs, and the sideways in the real estate market. Thanks for coming in and joining us. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next time when we have Housing Minister Selena Robinson, housing critic Sam Sullivan, and Vancouver Sun reporter Dan Fumano as we take a look at what governments are doing to try and cool the market and make housing more affordable. I'm Stuart McNish. 
Thanks for joining us on Housing Matters, the Vancouver Sun Real Estate Show. Mm-hmm.